What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. Happy Sunday and welcome back to another episode of J Talks. As you can tell by the title of this week's episode, we are going to be talking about how to survive a pandemic, more specifically the one that we're currently in since we're a year in and apparently we still need help on how to fight COVID. I know my fellow college kids are really going to hate me for this one because I'm going to sit here and I'm going to tell you guys to stop doing exactly what you've been doing for the last nine months of this pandemic. But before we get to the part that will make all of you angry at me, I first just want to do a quick follow-up about some of the events that occurred last week at the Capitol regarding the riots and the violence. Some things that I thought back later that I probably should have included in the episode, some things that I just forgot to say that I think are too important to leave out. Not only that, but I also do want to just talk about some of the updates regarding some of the political fallout of some of the events that happened last week, not just regarding President Trump, but also the rioters and some of the people who were actively perpetrating the violence themselves. So with that being said, again, I want to waste no time. I just want to jump right into this. First things first, I cannot believe I did not address the fact last week that the events of Wednesday could have truly been so much worse and so much more detrimental than what they turned out to be. I don't think we realized how lucky we were that this was not a massacre or that the or that I mean Congress people in general didn't die. If one thing had changed, if one thing had worked out differently, if one person missed a message, if one person didn't react in time, there could have been dead House members, dead Senate members, dead lawmakers on our hands. And I don't think people realize that. I don't think people realize the true immensity of what could have happened last week. I saw a video, I'm sure a lot of you saw it on social media, I think it's been circulating on Twitter, Instagram, all sorts of social media platforms. There was a Capitol Police officer, and to his left, there was an open door that led to a Senate chamber that was full of senators. There was an angry mob of these armed white nationalists coming up the stairs at him. And when they got to him, he actually pushed one of the Trump supporters back to aggravate them, to make them angry, and then ran the opposite way of the open Senate chamber to lead the rioters away from the open door where the senators were. I mean, imagine if that hadn't happened. Imagine if that guy hadn't been there. Imagine if he hadn't pushed him. Imagine if he didn't react quick enough. We could have had dead senators on our hands, and I need I need people to realize this. I need people to realize the immensity of what happened on Wednesday. I need people to realize the true magnitude of the violence that not only happened, but also could have happened. And I want to drive a very specific and very important point home. Bipartisanship aside, we have no idea what these people were capable of. We saw a little bit of what they're capable of doing. They're capable of breaking windows. They're capable of scaling cement walls and screaming profanities at police officers and discharging weapons inside of a Capitol building. They can bring weapons into federal buildings. But we have no idea where these people's limits resided. We have no idea how far they would have gone and what their goals were. These people set up gallows in front of the Capitol building. If you don't know what a gallow is, 
It's a structure that people in the past, people of history, would use to execute people by hanging. So it's that big wooden structure, has a noose tied to the top. There's usually a bucket or something under someone's foot. They kick the bucket out from underneath and then the person is hung to death. They built one of those in front of the Capitol building and they were walking in chanting that they wanted to kill Mike Pence, chanting that they wanted to kill Nancy Pelosi. I mean, we have no idea. If, if these people had gotten their way, would we have had a hostage situation? Would they have been threatening to kill these senators, these House members, the vice president, unless we overturn the election? Would they have just straight up killed them? Would we have dozens, hundreds of Congress members dead on our hands? I mean, just, it's unfathomable to sit here and try and think about what these people's limits are. Because let's face it, they've been lying to themselves for the last two months that an election was fraudulent, that it, it's very clear that it was not. So again, where are these people's limits? Where, how far are they willing to go to ensure that their president becomes a dictator? How far are they willing to go to ensure that Trumpism exists far after Trump leaves office? And that's a question that I think we have to ask ourselves. And no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter, you know, how, how, anger, how angry it makes Republicans and people who are looking at us from the other side saying that we need to unify the country, whatever the fuck that means, because let's face it, America's never been unified. We need to ask ourselves these questions and we need to force those who oppose us and those who are siding with these people and those who are still trying to say that the election was fraudulent, we need to force those people to ask those questions to themselves too. Because I think if we sit down and we take the time to answer these questions, we will be much more apt to punish these people and make sure something like this is never able to happen again. And on the flip side of that, I want someone to ask the question of how this happened in the first place. How did this occur in the first place? This was just a few people short of the State of the Union. This was just, this was literally a president short of being a State of the Union address, which is the most heavily guarded event that takes place at the Capitol building. I just hit my microphone. That's how angry I am right now. The State of the Union, the most, the most heavily protected event that takes place at the Capitol building. This was one person short of that. Yet, a couple thousand Trump supporters were able to completely overtake the 1,400 Capitol police officers who were already there. I want to know why this happened. I want there to be federal investigations. I want there to be federal investigations into the Capitol Police Department. I want there to be federal investigations into why the Capitol Police Department was not at all prepared for this. I want there to be federal investigations as to why this was so easy. Why was it so easy for a group of armed white nationalists to storm into the Capitol building and wreak havoc on one of our most highly protected, on one of our most highly decorated federal buildings in this country? That's the question that I want to know. This should not have been that easy for them. And on the other side as to why, how this happened, I'm going to turn to the social media companies. You are too late. You are too late going out of your way to ban hundreds of thousands of right-wing conspiracy theory accounts. You are too late going out of your way to now ban number 45 from Twitter, Facebook, all social media platforms. This, this came too late. Because of the inaction by these social media companies, because of their inability and unwillingness to take these posts down, to ban these groups, to ban these people from social media, these 
it's just been an echo chamber of these conspiracy theories. It's been an echo chamber of potential violence. It's been an echo chamber of these plans of just of insurrection, of wanting to overthrow the capital, of wanting to overthrow the election by force. You've just been allowing these ideas to fester like sand and carpet fibers. You have just been allowing for these tiny, small, seemingly insignificant acts and seemingly harmless threats of violence and supposed ideas of violence. You have been letting them slowly wear away at our democracy by letting these lies of voter fraud, by letting these lies of a stolen election perpetuate. You have been letting these sand eat away and destroy the carpet fibers that are our democracy. And at this point, it's, I think we can get past, back to a place as Americans where we are able to restore faith in our democratic system, where we're able to restore faith in our, faith in our voting systems. I think we will be able to get back to that point, but it will take a very long time. And to also, on a separate side note, to the Republicans saying that if we want unity, we can't impeach this president, because that's also part of what I want to talk about is the whole impeachment side of this before, you know, moving on to the rest of the episode. <laughs> I don't want unity with Donald Trump. I don't want unity with white supremacists. I don't want unity with QAnon. I do not want to unify with people who would storm the Capitol building perpetuate a riot against the Capitol building, against one of our top federal buildings with the intent of inflicting harm against our lawmakers and against our elected officials. I do not want to unify with those people. I don't, those people to me, they're not American. They're not Americans. People preach so much about being patriotic and being an American and loving this country. Yet these, this group of people stormed one of our federal buildings with the intent of overthrowing our democracy. They are not Americans to me, and I want no part in unifying with them. So honestly, fuck all. Impeach him. This man needs to be impeached. This man needs to be held accountable for our actions. And if we truly want to get back to a point where we have faith in our democracy, if we truly want to get back to a point where we are able to move forward, maybe, yes, with a still bipartisan, with a still, with still a bipartisan divide in our country, with still Republicans and Democrats, but if we still want to be able to move forward as one cohesive group of people, as one cohesive society, we have to punish the people that are responsible for last week's actions. We have to hold them accountable and we have to set a precedent that it is not okay to stage a coup against a federal building, that it's not okay to question our democracy, that it's not okay to perpetuate lies and fester these negative ideas of a stolen election when it was not stolen. If anything, the right was trying to steal it and they're just mad that they didn't succeed. We have to hold people accountable if we want to heal if we want to move on from this, if we want to grow, not just as individuals, but as a country, and like I said, as a cohesive society, people need to be held accountable for what happened last week. And that is down to the very last rioter all the way up to Donald Trump. And on the flip side of that, I also think that impeachment needs to happen now. It needs to take place immediately. A lot of, I don't want to say a lot of, some Congress members are talking about possibly pushing back the impeachment to after Biden's first 100 days in office. And while I completely understand why that's important, while I completely understand pushing forward COVID relief and, you know, we are still in a pandemic, we are still in an economic crisis, while I completely understand that that stuff 
should probably take priority. The fact of the matter is that if stuff does not happen immediately, people forget and people get complacent. And the urgency that we feel now, the anger that we feel now will not be there in 100 days. It will not be there by April, which is by mid-April, which is when Biden's 100 days would take would be over. We cannot allow us to get complacent. We cannot allow our feelings to die down. We cannot allow this urgency to die down because when it does, justice will not be served. And that is just, that is an unfortunate fact. I mean, I hate that we have to choose between potentially passing essential COVID relief and impeaching an incompetent president, but unfortunately that's what it's come down to because if we don't do that, especially soon, not only will a precedent be set. Not only do we have to punish the person responsible for these riots, not only do we have to punish and show the people who did these riots that the person who put them up to it is not a role model and is not someone who we want serving our country. Not only do we have to set that precedent, but like I said, this is also a sense of urgency. This is also us having to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And this needs to be done now, even though he'll probably end up serving up the rest of his term. That's not even what I care about. I care about justice. I care about him not receiving his million dollar travel pay every single year. I care about him not receiving his fucking pension for being a president. I care about him not being able to run again in 2024. I care about preventing this from happening again, even if it's not with Donald Trump, even if it's with another Donald Trump. I, I care about the outcomes of this. I don't give a shit if Donald Trump serves out the rest of his presidency. That's not what this is about. This is about setting a precedent and this is about punishing him and preventing him from doing more damage than has already been done. <sighs> I feel lighter. Do you guys feel lighter? <laughs> oh, I don't feel better, but I do feel lighter. It felt good to get all that off my chest. I really, I, I was kind of in just such a rush to talk about everything that happened last week. I didn't really take the time to think about what I should talk about. And the last two things, especially with the progression of the impeachment trials and everything with invoking the 25th Amendment, with the progression that's gone on with that, I not only have been able to think about more stuff that I probably should have talked about last week, but I've also been able to give the policy side of things time to see how this would play out and then also be able to give my input on that. And unfortunately, or fortunately, if you enjoy hearing me talk about this for some odd reason, I will probably be talking about this more in the next coming weeks, especially as it develops. Um, if they make the decision to push the impeachment back after Biden's 100 days, I will be coming on here and losing my shit. But as it progresses, I definitely will be coming on here giving updates, giving my insight, um... So yeah, you can, like I said, you can definitely expect more of this from me, unfortunately or fortunately, um, either way. But yeah, I'm, I am ready to retire that part of the episode, however, and ready to move into the pandemic. And now instead of bullying the elected officials and bullying the people who rioted against the Capitol, I'm going to bully all of you because sometimes I truly just sit and watch my Snapchat stories on a Friday night, and watch my Instagram stories on a Saturday night, and I sit and I think to myself, I'm like, what do these people want from this pandemic? What do you people want from this pandemic? Because when everything first happened, when everything first shut down, when COVID was first really bothering people, and when we were all stuck in our houses, like really stuck in our houses, nothing was open, um, I mean, people were like disinfecting their groceries coming home from the grocery store. When it was at that level, 
I, left and right, people were like, what do we need to do for things to go back to normal? I want things to go back to normal. And health experts and epidemiologists and journalists and doctors and medical professionals were like, hey guys, you can just do this, this, and this. Just do X, Y, and Z for however long, and we can go back to normal by summertime. And y'all went, nah, I don't want to fucking do that shit. So now we're still here. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I mean, they were like, socially distance, wear your masks, and try to limit how much you go out. And yet, y'all are like, out at brunch on a Saturday afternoon right after partying the night before. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. That is, that's probably been one of the most frustrating things about this pandemic is I understand that there are people who take it a little bit more seriously than others. I understand that there are people who are a bit more concerned than others, whether you have you know, a medical history, underlying health conditions that would prompt you to take more precaution when it comes to the virus, or, you know, whether you're just an empathetic person who cares about other people, even though you may not experience those same things, and you may care about the virus. I mean, either way, I mean, crazy way to think. And that's another thing that's just been so interesting to see throughout this entire pandemic is how quickly people just switch on a dime, is how quickly people are just willing to switch Whenever a new change happens or whenever something happens or something shifts and it and whatever's going on no longer benefits them. Because I remember, like I said in the beginning, when it was really bad, when you know we were really stuck in our houses and people were like, oh, I want a vaccine to come out. I need a vaccine to come out. I want life to go back to normal. I just want to get the vaccine and then we can, you know, stop wearing masks and stop social distancing and life can just go back to normal. And now that vaccines are out and vaccines are getting distributed, people are like, I don't want that stuff. It's going to turn me into a zombie. It's a microchip. It's, I, I don't even know what the, all the conspiracy theories are. I don't even pay attention to them at this point. They're exhausting to look at. And again, it just, it really makes me think like, what do you want then? Is this just an attention seeking thing? Are you just looking to say whatever benefits you, whatever gets you the most attention in the moment? Are you genuinely just switching your opinions on a dime just because? Are you you know, buying into some of the conspiracy theories and some of the misinformation that's spreading on social media like wildfire. I don't know what it is. I don't even know. And granted, it's probably a mixture of all three. It's probably an amalgam of that and so many other things that has been going on, especially with the election, especially with all the political stuff that we've dealt with this year and the fact that we are still in a pandemic and we are stuck inside just reading random stuff on our phones. And I guarantee you that there, I mean, even myself, I will be 100% honest with you guys right now, sometimes I find myself doubting the reality and the validity of this virus. I mean, even people who are like, COVID-19 is a scam, this virus is fake, this virus is a microchip, everything else. Even though consciously and cognitively, I'm a smart enough individual to know that none of that stuff is true and that's complete and utter bull honky, it, it does, I do recognize that there's some sort of doubt that emerges in me, that erupts in me. It's not, it's not overpowering. It's not enough to make me question what I already know, but it's enough to make me realize that this is also how a lot of people are feeling. And this is also how a lot of people are feeling who, who may not be privileged enough to have the same education and upbringing I was, who, who are more susceptible to these types of conspiracy theories, who are much more immersed in this culture, who are much more who are you know, younger and much more susceptible to this culture in general, to people who grow up in a household where they have to listen to these conspiracy theories all day. I understand that there are, are different 
there are different variables that would affect how people look at this pandemic. And even with my own stubbornness, even with my own uh, security in my way of thinking, even my own even my own confidence in my intelligence and my own confidence in the way I think and the way I dissect information, even I can recognize that sometimes I doubt the reality of everything that's going on. But then, you know, that's when you have to sit down and that's when you have to think. And that's when you have to take the time to be cognitive and logical. And I think that especially with the pandemic, especially because we're all just on our phones or online all the time and we're stuck inside and we're anxious and we're depressed and we're, our mental health is not where it is. I know it's hard to take the time to really sit and brood over what's happening and just think logically about what's happening. I understand that is incredibly hard for people, even when they're not in a pandemic. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to do it for you. All you have to do is listen. That is literally all you have to do. All you have to do is just, you don't even have to think. You don't even have to actually think about what I'm saying. You just have to listen. And I am going to sit here and logically try and explain this to you about how all of these conspiracy theories are kind of null and void. And I'm not trying to make what you believe insignificant. I'm not trying to diminish how you think or why you think the way you think. But I am trying to sit here and kind of explain to you guys why why you might be thinking what you're thinking might not hold weight and might not be factually or scientifically accurate. So first things first, I'm just going to like jump through all the conspiracy theories and just address them. First things first, COVID is a hoax. This one, this one is, this one is remarkable as to like how people get to this conclusion because, so let me get this straight. Entire global economies have been devastated. Entire countries' economies have been devastated. Entire countries have shut down. World leaders have had to make impossible decisions on how to run their country and how to govern their citizens. Every single journalist, every single epidemiologist, every single health expert, every single doctor, every single medical professional, every single half of politicians, every single world leader, every single member of the WHO and the CDC, you think they have all been lying to you. Let me get this straight. You think they have all been lying to you. You think every single economic disaster that has taken place in the last year has been staged and you think this is all a hoax for for what <laughs> so that joe biden could get elected like that's the wildest one to me is like covid was a hoax that joe biden could get elected one if democrats could rig the election do you really think we would have gone with joe biden don't get me wrong i will so i voted for joe biden i will support joe biden because you know, he is a pre he is my president and he is not Donald Trump. But let's 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 be honest here. Even my fellow Democrats, even my fellow people who lead a, who lean a little more to the left, you think Democrats would put effort into staging a worldwide pandemic to elect Joe Biden of all people? Are you kidding me? Come on now. You're smarter than this. I know you have to be smarter than this. Please tell me you are smarter than this. It that that <laughs> if if I'm staging a worldwide pandemic and I'm putting the entire world in squalor and I'm making millions of people go into poverty and hundreds of thousands of people lose their lives, you best believe I'm electing a six foot five militant Latina lesbian to be my president. That's who I want to be my president. And I'm not choosing another old white guy. 
I'm not choosing another old white guy who might not even survive out his presidential term. Come on, you're smarter than that. Not only is that an insult to you who believes this, but it's an insult to Democrats because, come on, come on, seriously, you think we would elect Joe Biden? We would think, you think we would rig an entire election just to elect Joe Biden? Come on now, seriously, let's think. Second conspiracy theory. The vaccine is a is a chip. The vaccine is a chip. It's a tracking device. It will turn you into a zombie. Again, you think Pfizer, Moderna, all of these huge biotech companies would put millions, millions of dollars into creating these vaccines. You think they would spend, because let's face it, if the government wanted to get out a chip and ship you, they would have produced this vaccine in three months. Let's be honest, because I don't think the general public, at least not the general American public, is smart enough to really understand what goes into a vaccine trial and how long producing a vaccine really takes. So if they wanted to just get a chip into your arm, they could have just produced a vaccine that does that in three months and not taken a year to do it and not spent almost billions of dollars doing it, for one. For two, you're going to complain about a, a chip, put, a vaccine putting a chip in your arm and you have an iPhone? <laughs> Hold on. If you, if you have your social security number in your notes app on your iPhone, I don't want to get, I don't want to hear what you have to say about a vaccine. If you have played beer pong with beer in the cups, I don't want to hear about what you have to say about the vaccine. If you have partied in a basement, I don't care if it's the friend you had from high school. I don't care if it's the fraternity basement. I don't care if it's the basement of a warehouse. If you have had a party in any basement, again, I don't want to hear about what you have to say about the COVID vaccine. You're worried about what it's in the COVID vaccine? Girl, you don't even know what's in the Mike's Hard Lemonade that you drink. You don't even know what's in the Cocoa Puffs that you had this morning. I, And also, usually, it's pretty easy to find out what's in a vaccine. Might have to do a little bit of reading. Might have to do a little bit of research, but you could definitely find out. And then this is the last one. It's not really a conspiracy theory. It's more just what dumb people say about the virus. But the people who say that it's not deadly, it's not going to hurt me, I'm young, I'm healthy, I have nothing to worry about with this virus, I don't care if I get sick, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. That's, I mean, that's individualism at its finest. I the fact of the matter is that your choices do affect other people. Butterfly effect. No single drop of hurt. No single drop of water is responsible for the flood. It's the same concept. Your actions affect other people's. Your your inability to wear a mask. Your unwillingness to social distance. Even though it might not make you sick, or if it does make you sick, you might not die. You might not have lasting effects. The fact of the matter is, you do not control who this virus infects. You do not control if you get sick, and you sure as shit don't control if someone else gets sick, or if you get someone else sick, or if someone else dies from this virus. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, when this is constantly what happens whenever a new virus comes out, we think it's not harmful. We think it's benign. We don't know the full effects. And then when we have a couple months, a couple years, a couple decades to research it and see its behavior, we can understand how detrimental it can be. Off the top of my head, chicken pox, for one. We used to think that chicken pox was just something that all children got. All children got it. It was harmless. They had it. They never had it again. It was fine. It wasn't deadly. Children were like, it was, it was just chicken pox. That was what it was. It was just chicken pox. 
give it a couple decades and we come to find out that chickenpox actually lays dormant in your body and it can come back as shingles. And not only can it come back as shingles once, it can come back as shingles multiple times. And shingles, unlike chickenpox, is actually deadly. That's just one example of a virus that we had no idea how the behavior worked, but now that we do, we understand how detrimental it is. Another great example that just comes to my head, Lyme disease. When Lyme disease first came out, we were like, eh, it makes you tired, it makes you fatigued, it, it makes you a little slower. But besides that, it's harmless. People can have Lyme disease and live with it. Now, again, we know that Lyme disease actually sits and breeds and reproduces in your synovial fluid sacs, in your joints, and can actually deteriorate and ruin your joints and affect your ability to walk for the rest of your life. I mean, that just off the top of my head, those are two. And even with this virus, we can see the difference between what we know now versus what we knew last March or even last September. Now we know that this virus can actually affect women's menstrual cycles. It can affect, I just hit my microphone. That's how into this I am. We know it can actually affect women's menstrual cycles. We know it can affect their periods. I mean, with just off the top of my head, maybe it doesn't affect fertility. Maybe a woman can get COVID and it might affect her menstrual cycle when she has it, but she can grow to have a beautiful family and live a beautiful life. But statistically and historically, from what we've seen with viruses that we do not know about, new viruses that we do not know about, there's a good to fair chance that COVID might affect a female's fertility. And if you get COVID now when you're 18, even though, you know, I'm not going to die. I, I still want to party. I still want to go to parties. I'm young. I'm in college. That, that's fine. But what if you get COVID now and when you're 35 and want to start a family, you can't? I mean, that's like, those are just some of the thoughts that come into my head. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm a cynic. Maybe I'm pessimistic. Maybe I'm thinking about the worst case scenarios. Maybe I am just a hypersensitive leftist who, you know, is just too scared of this virus. But I mean, one of the first lessons we learned as a kid, rather be safe than sorry. When you complain about having to wear a bike helmet and your mom is making you wear a bike helmet or your mom is making you put your seatbelt on, what does she say to you? Rather be safe than sorry. It's the same concept. I'm not thinking about the worst case scenarios. I'm thinking about potential scenarios that might be real. There is a fair chance that these scenarios might turn out to be real. There is a good to fair chance that we might grow to see that COVID is much more dangerous than we think, even for young people, even for people who aren't dying from it, even people who don't have seemingly long-lasting effects. I mean, that's just another thing that comes to my head about this that absolutely terrifies me, not just for my safety, but for the safety of everyone. Those are kind of like all the conspiracy theories that I can just, I mean, they're not all the conspiracy theories that I can think of. There are hundreds out there. It seems like some like people like people's hobby is just making bullshit conspiracy theories it's literally what it seems like now but those are just some of the main ones that came to the top of my head i'm not going to do searching for other conspiracy theories because i know i will lose brain cells but like i said those were just some of the top ones that came to my head some of the ones i wanted to debunk for you guys see you didn't even have to think you didn't even have to think like i said all you had to do was listen all you had to do was listen to me being logical you didn't even have to think for yourself how nice was that but that aside, even though I, I really do hope that you got something from that, even if it was just a laugh, even if you were like, I agree with everything you're saying, you don't need to convince me to take this pandemic more seriously. And even if you just got a laugh out of some of the stuff that I'm saying, A plus, double thumbs up. That's awesome. But if you did get something out of it, even better. You know, that's all I'm hoping to do. 
<laughs> and with that being said, I just realized that I never actually taught you guys how to survive a pandemic. I mean, the title of this episode is How to Survive a Pandemic 101. So it's only fair that I should sit here and actually teach you guys how to survive a pandemic. So I'm going to give you guys three tips on things you can do to not only eliminate the spread of COVID and eliminate your risk of contracting COVID, but also on these are tips that you can carry with you through any other pandemic that we have. Because let's face it, as we continue to destroy our earth, as we continue to screw with and mess with the natural ecosystems and the natural biology systems that we have existing on this earth, there are probably going to be more pandemics that are way worse than COVID-19. So I'm just trying to prepare you for that. All right, first things first. Listen to people who are smarter than you. It seems simple, right? But <laughs> you see, if it was that simple, we wouldn't be in this mess right now, you know, breaching 400,000 new cases a day. So I say that not saying that you should just listen to people who are more educated than you, not just saying that you should listen to people like me, because chances are there are some of you listening to this that are way smarter than I will ever be, and I am perfectly okay and willing to admit that. I'm not saying that you should listen to people like me, even though you should. I'm not saying that you should listen to your necessarily your parents or people you think are smarter than you or your superiors or your professors or your teachers. I'm saying listen to people who are smarter than you, who study this field and know what they are talking about. So more specifically, listen to the people who have been honest with you about this pandemic from the very beginning. Listen to epidemiologists. Listen to healthcare professionals. Listen to medical professionals. Listen to people from the WHO, people from the CDC, people who manufacture vaccines, people who study virus behavior. Listen to these people. Even though COVID-19 is a relatively new virus that we don't really know a lot about, the fact of the matter is that these people still know more about it than you do. And I think it would be, I think it would benefit all of us if we just took some time to listen to these people and pay homage to their extensive years of schooling and the research and the information that they have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and so much time and so much energy and so much effort learning. Not for themselves, not just for their career, not just for their life, but for society, for the betterment, for the advancement, for scientific fulfillment of society and exactly for events like this. Most of these people, most of the, like I said, epidemiologists, people who study virus behavior, people who are members of the CDC and who, most of those people not only went to college for four years, like most people, but they also went to graduate school. They have MDs. They have PhDs. They have studied these things. They have studied virus behavior. They have studied epidemiology for almost, for most of their lives. And I think it's not only the smart thing to do, not only the no-brainer thing to do, to listen to them, but I also think it's the respectful thing to do because they've done things that, let's face it, the average American cannot. They've learned things that the average American could not. They know things that the average American doesn't. So like I said, I think it would be really, really stupid of us to not listen to these people who have the education, have the information, and are armed with facts that the average American just does not have. All right, moving on to tip number two. These ones are, this is kind of two different ones, but they go hand in hand. Be empathetic and learn how to separate your ego from yourself, especially when it comes to doing what is right. Masks 
especially in social distancing, especially have been seen as bipartisan issues. They've been seen as left-right issues. They've been seen as things that only a certain group of people do. Only a certain group of people are wearing masks or social distancing are supposed to do that. And the reality of it is that that's just not true. And it's complete. It's, it's baffling how something that is just a basic action that you do and that you take to not only protect your life, but the lives of others is now seen as a bipartisan issue. It's, it's fascinating to see how everything in America can just turn into a Democratic Republican issue on the fly. But my response to that is, this is not about you. I mean, it is because obviously, you know, this is how to, this is teaching you how to survive a pandemic, but it's not just about you. And that's where the empathy comes in. Because even though you may be fine, which is perfectly fine, if you're not scared of the virus, if you don't care about contracting it, if you know you're healthy and young and vibrant and have no underlying health conditions, and you have, then you're pretty confident that if you get it, if you contract it, you'd survive. That's fine. Amazing. Good for you, dude. Awesome. But the fact of the matter is that especially if you're going out in public on a regular basis, especially if you're going to the grocery store, if you're going to the pharmacy, if you're going to places that even necessarily, if you don't necessarily need to go, but that are still essential businesses and that a lot of people, especially older people, do still frequent at, you could be potentially putting someone else's life at risk. I mean, what are you, are you going to tell that person to not go grocery shopping? Are you going to tell that person to not pick up a necessary prescription? That's not fair. That is not fair that your biggest inconvenience is you wearing a piece of fabric over your face and that another person's biggest inconvenience might be to make the decision about whether or not they want to go get food or go get a prescription. And like I said, that's where the empathy comes in. That's where you have to take your ego and step outside of yourself a little bit and go, even if I'm not worried about myself, I need to have it in my heart and I need to have it inside of myself to care about others, to look out for other people who are immunocompromised, who might have asthma, who might have other underlying health conditions that could affect their ability and their efficiency to fight this virus should they contract it. And to hell with what all of these people say. It doesn't make you a sheep to wear a mask. It doesn't make you a weak Democrat to wear a mask. It doesn't make you someone who conforms to socialist ideologies if you wear a mask. It just means you're someone who decided to wear a mask and protect yourself against COVID. It doesn't mean any of this other stuff. This is bullshit that other groups are trying to perpetuate to prevent people from doing what is right. And it's so blatantly obvious. You are, like I said, you're not going to be a sheep for wearing a mask. Nobody's going to look at you wearing a mask in public and think, oh my god, what a pussy, what a pansy. Who does he think he is? He's not a true patriot. And let's face it, if they do look at you and think that, they're kind of stupid and you shouldn't care what they think anyways. It needs to not be an issue of left, right. It needs to not be an issue of, I don't want to be a sheep. I want to be a patriot. I'm not, you're not a true American if you wear a mask. It needs to not be those issues and just be an issue of, what can I do today to make myself safe? What can I do today to make other people safe? That's that's what, that's I think, not just what being an American should be about, but also what being a human being should be about, who has to interact with and love and support and care about other human beings. That's what this boils down to. And if after all of that, you're still, I don't know, insecure about wearing a mask, is that a thing? Insecure about wearing a mask? I don't know. But if that's still how you feel, know that 
I'm on your side. I think you're a bigger patriot than the people who march in the streets and riot at the Capitol while not wearing a mask, thinking that it's their constitutional right to spread a deadly disease. I think you're a bigger patriot than those people are. And if those people are going to be the ones that are calling you a pussy and calling you a sheep and making fun of you for doing what is morally and ethically right and demanded of you, then they can suck a fat one. And finally, but certainly not leastly... <laughs> That sounded so much better in my head. But anyways, lastly, but certainly not least, tip number three. And this is probably going to be the tip that makes you guys most angry with me, but it's the one that still yet makes the most sense and will probably do the best at protecting you. If we are in a pandemic, if there is a deadly virus ravaging the human race at any point in time, no matter how serious it is, no matter how afraid of it you are, no matter how much you think it would affect you, let's take a minute to admit that the smartest thing for you to do would be to stay home. And I say that Knowing that people are essential workers, I say that knowing that, you know, people still have doctor's visits, still have to get groceries, still have to get... That's not the stuff that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the essential stuff. I'm not talking about you having to be out of your house when you have to. I'm talking about the unnecessary traveling, the unnecessary exposure, the unnecessary you know, trips to a restaurant and eating without a mask on, trips to the bar and drinking without a mask on, going to parties, nobody has a mask on, even going to any other non-essential store building facility of society when you know you don't have to, when you know you could survive without it, when you know it's not necessary, any of that puts you at higher risk for not only exposing yourself, but exposing others as well. And it is and I, I, I say, again, I say that with a grain of salt. I say that knowing that we can't just be in our houses surrounded by our families. I mean, I could because my family is awesome, but I know not everyone has that situation. I know some people are in toxic situations. I know some people have toxic families and, or some people live alone, which is arguably could be even worse because you don't even have exposure to other people. I mean, to that, I have to say, keep your gatherings small. You know what is being asked from you at this point in the pandemic. You know the choices that you should be making, not just for your bodily autonomy, not just for your safety, but also for your mental health. And, you know, if seeing one or two people every week, if going out for walks with people, if hanging out with a couple of your friends in your dorm room is something that helps you and is something that makes it a little easier to get through this pandemic, then I'm all for that. But what I'm not saying is don't go to a rager with 50 plus people where everyone's sweating on top of each other and sharing their white claws and sharing joints and bongs and vapes like that. That just seems like a recipe for disaster, period. Like even, even if it's a small party, even if it's only 10 people, I mean, you're unnecessarily exposing yourself. And that is going to be something that has the potential of not just heightening your risk of contracting any virus that is in circulation, any virus that is causing a pandemic. But like I said, it also heightens your risk for exposing other people. And like I said, that's where tip number two has to come in. That's where you have to be like, even if I'm not scared of it, there are other people that I have to care about. And the fact that y'all are out partying with your friends, having family over for Thanksgiving and Christmas and doing these big family gatherings. And I mean, do you actually care about these people? <laughs> That sounds so bad, but it's true. I mean, you are unnecessarily exposing them to a virus that could potentially kill them. I mean, do you even care about them? Like, let's let's be honest. 
I know it's not the same as being next to someone, as hugging your grandma, as sitting on the couch with your grandpa watching the football game. I know it's not the same when it's a Zoom call, when it's a FaceTime, when it's texting. I know it's not the same, but let's face it, it's a year. It's a year of our lives that has been taken from us. It's by the time it's over, assuming everyone gets the vaccine that which they should, in case you missed my point from the beginning of this segment, everyone should be getting the vaccine if they are able to. But assuming everyone does what they need to to fin- to end this pandemic at a prompt time, we will be back to normal by the summer. It's, it, or if not, we will be back to normal by the fall. That is what the majority of healthcare professionals are saying, that we should be back to some sense of normalcy by fall of 2021. And I realize that everything in life is a cost analysis and everyone has a different scale. Everyone has a different tipping point. Everyone has something that seems more worth it over someone else because of your experiences, because of how you were raised, because of your perception of the world. I understand that everyone's scale is a little bit different and everyone's cost analysis is going to be a little bit different. But to me, a year off from seeing my family for holidays, a year off from traveling, a year off from doing things that could that have risk for not just making myself sick, but also making others sick, that seems worth it to me. If, it, if I know for a fact that my grandparents, my family, and my friends will be safe. And I'm not necessarily saying that if you disagree with me, you're a bad person, but I am saying that it doesn't really sound like you care about your family all that much. Okay, now that you're all mad at me. (laughs) Real talk, a lot of that was kind of just my comedic hyperbole. A lot of that was not genuinely how I feel about people who aren't taking this virus for this virus as seriously as I am. A lot of it was just for laughs and like I said, comedic purposes. But I do genuinely hope that you guys got something out of that segment. I did not mean to make people mad at me. Um, even though I know some of you are probably a little bit pissed off, that was not my intention. My intention is always just to educate and help expand minds and give you a different perspective on things. Like I said, I'm not trying to sit here and hurt anyone's feelings or make anyone feel bad about what they think unless you're like a white supremacist or Donald Trump. And again, I'm not trying to piss anyone off, but let's face it, I did make some pretty bang on points in everything I had to say about this pandemic. So if you're disagreeing with me at this point, I don't know, Jack, this seems like a personal problem. But that aside, before any of you get any more mad at me, seriously, guys, we are still in a pandemic. Um, Safety is should always be a top priority to anyone, regardless of party affiliation, regardless of your opinions on the pandemic, regardless of the conspiracy theories you may or may not believe. Safety and empathy for others should always be a top priority as human beings, as people who are high-functioning and high-level thinking human beings. And that is the most important point that I want to drive home. Do what's safest for yourself do what's safest for your friends, do what's safest for your family, and do what's safest for everyone else. That is literally the overarching point of everything I was trying to say. Above all else, above your opinions, above your party affiliation, just do what is best for yourself and for others. All right, you guys, there it goes. Another weekly episode come and gone. Faster than you could even remind yourself to tune in to listen to what I was saying. Actually, I've been talking for less 47 and a half minutes, so I sure hope you've tuned in before now. 
But guys, that aside, you already know the drill. Be sure to follow, subscribe for weekly episodes coming out every Sunday. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. It helps a lot. Also, be sure to follow and interact with me on all my social media platforms. All of my handles are at Jalen Tully. And my weekly reminder that my link tree is always in the description of every single episode of J Talks. So be sure to check that out, interact with it, go sign petitions, go read the educational Google Docs I have in there, go donate to the GoFundMes that I have in there. Definitely be sure to use that as a resource if you are looking for new positions to sign, looking for new GoFundMes to support. I currently have one in there this week that actually supports Little Miss Flint because she is creating uh, water filters for not just the people of Flint who still do not have access to clean water, but she's also doing it for people all over the country who are deprived access to clean drinking water. So definitely go support her, definitely go donate to her GoFundMe and share it with people that you know who also will donate and support her. Weekly reminders, you guys, Black Lives Matter, science is real, women's rights are human's rights, love is love, nobody's illegal on stolen land, and last but certainly not least, remember to leave each episode ready to educate often, learn freely, and love equally. Take care, you guys.